Good morning, everyone. I hope you have a cup of coffee at the ready. I know I do, because this is the Roast West Coast Classics Edition, Volume 3. Hello and happy holidays. I'm Ryan Wold, podcasting from The Road. I've been hosting the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast for three seasons already. That's more than 60 episodes. Between each season, I take a month to regroup, learn new skills, and retool, so this show is currently on hiatus while I gear up for Season 4, coming in early 2022. But I didn't want to leave you without some great coffee content, because I've noticed a lot of new listeners checking out the most recent season. So I'm re-airing some of the classic Coffee Smarter Coffee Education shorts from the first few seasons. But if you want to catch up on all of the episodes before we start Season 4, You can go back and listen to all of the Roast West Coast Coffee Smarter and interview shows from the beginning on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. You could also head to our website at roastwestcoast.com to stream those shows, read the newsletters, and if you feel so inclined, subscribe for free or choose to pay for a monthly or annual subscription. The paid subscriptions have been helping us grow this coffee show and reach out further and further. Thank you for supporting this show and, by extension, the entire craft coffee community. I'm glad you're here. On this Classics reissue, I'm going back to Season 1, Weeks 6 and 7 of our Coffee Smarter series. Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting and I are going to talk about keeping coffee fresh, coffee strength, and how your grinder can impact the taste of your coffee. So, if you haven't already, go refill your coffee mug and curl up with the Christmas puppy, because it is time for the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, Classics Edition, Volume 3. Chris, welcome back to the Roast uh, West Coast podcast, and help. Thank you for helping us get coffee smarter every week. I appreciate you coming back. Oh man, I uh, I love this uphill battle of trying to get you coffee smarter, Ryan. It's uh, <laughs> it's a good challenge for me, and I'm I'm ready for it every week. It takes me about a week to recharge, but I'm I'm ready this week. Uh, I feel like I should have some sort of comeback to that, and I just don't. So I'm going to jump into my question <laughs> for the week. Yes. I want to focus on the beans. Last week, we talked about how beans are processed, you know, washed versus natural versus honey processed and and so on and so on. Uh, If you didn't hear it, you should go back and listen to it. It was really good. But this week, I want to know a little bit more about the difference between light, medium and dark roasted beans. So after they've been processed and sent to a roaster and they work with them uh, and we go to the store and we're looking at the shelf or we're going to our roaster and trying to decide what to order or coffee shop. What does that mean? Is that how they're grown? Is that how they're roasted? What's happening? Well, as you know, I love helping people think more about this drink that we're drinking, coffee, and about all the steps that it takes to get to us. You know, we talked about coffee is a fruit. Well, coffee beans don't start brown. Uh, They don't start black. They don't start oily. They start sort of greenish. And big 150-pound burlap sacks of green beans get shipped to coffee roasters. Now, your coffee roaster might be a giant warehouse machine done by Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whoever, or it might be a small machine that sits on a countertop in someone's home or the back of a very small shop where they're roasting one or two pounds at a time. But basically what they're doing is they're putting these green beans in a roasting machine, which is really just 
kind of an oven and they're getting it up to a, a temperature that they think makes the coffee taste best and then they're pulling it out roasted. So you get these green coffee beans, you roast them and they become darker and more brownish and then you pull them out when you think they're at their best flavor and then you can grind them and brew them and make it into a drink we drink. Some roasters will roast their coffee darker than others. And the darkness, light, medium, dark thing that we were just talking, that you were just asking about is really a product of how long we left those green beans in the oven, in the roasting machine. Okay, so then if they're in there longer, does that give it more flavor if it's darker? Or is it the opposite where shorter will be more flavor? Well, that's a great uh, way to phrase the question because that doesn't work at all. Uh, <laughs> if you roast it lighter, lighter roasts are going to, the heat destroys less compounds in the coffee. So there's a lot of chemical reactions that happen when we heat something up, when we roast something. You'll talk to bakers or cooks that talk about the Maillard reaction and how sugars caramelize. Well, that's just one example of chemical reactions that are occurring when something is has heat applied to it over time. So because coffee beans have so many different tasteable compounds in them, that heat can have either a good effect or a bad effect, or you know, kind of a, an effect that one person might like that another person doesn't like. So a lighter roasted coffee, if you get a medium light roast from your local hipster coffee shop, you know, where they have really good high quality beans that they've imported, or that they're direct sourcing from a farm, those beans at the medium light are going to have a greater complexity of flavor than a darker roasted coffee. So when you leave it in the oven too long, if you take those really nice, fine, hipster, direct imported coffee beans, farm to cup, whatever you have, and you roast them dark, real dark, so dark that they start to get sort of oily looking on the outside, you've lost some of the complexity of flavor. You've lost the nuance. You've lost the subtlety, but you gain an intensity. So you get a smokiness and an intensity of flavor. So the comparison I like to use a lot doesn't apply to everyone. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're, you're a vegetarian or a pescatarian, if I remember right. I'm actually a vegan these days. Sorry to hear that, but I also respect it. Uh, <laughs> but the comparison I like to use is um, steak. So some people like their steak or their burger cooked medium rare, and other people like their steak cooked well done. Well, if you have a really nice cut of steak and you cook it medium rare, and then you have a really nasty cut of steak and you cook it medium rare, you're going to be able to taste the difference real easily. But if you cook those two mm -hmm. cuts of steak really well done, you're not going to be able to taste the difference as well. Now, you might still be able to taste the difference, but the same kind of thing applies to coffee. So this is really interesting because coffee has improved over the last 10, 20, 30 years a lot. So it used to be back in our parents' day that, you know, who had better coffee, Maxwell House or Folgers? And the answer is they both were not good. Nowadays, we have a lot of different coffees out there that are a lot of different qualities. So if you look at older coffees, like from our parents' era or from 20, 30 years ago, you're going to find that they're all roasted pretty dark. And that dark was actually something that they would advertise as a quality. Because when you roasted it dark, you roasted out those imperfect flavors that were present in the green coffee. You, you destroyed them in the heat of the roasting process. And so that all you could taste was the roast. And it didn't matter as much 
whether you got better green coffee from this farm or that farm or this country or that country, what you're tasting is you're tasting the product of the roasting. So dark roast, totally fine if you like it. I, I prefer medium roasts personally because I like a coffee to have a, a depth and a complexity of flavor to it. I like to be able to think about, do I taste blueberry in this coffee? Well, blueberry as a tasting note, which we talked about in a previous episode, is um is comprised of some pretty delicate compounds inside a cup of co- inside a coffee bean. And so you're never going to taste blueberry in a dark roasted coffee because those compounds, those delicate organic acids and sugars will have been destroyed or modified by the chemical reactions that occur during the roasting process. So most roasters their goal is to take all the good stuff that is in the green coffee and roast the coffee to the point where you can taste all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff because all coffee has such a depth of complexity that there's going to be flaws and there's going to be things that we like and we really want to highlight all the good things and cover up all the bad things. The roast can really affect what we're tasting, but generally speaking, I tend to prefer medium light roasts because it means that the roaster has decided that the coffee is good enough to show off at a medium to light profile. There's so much science and yet kind of so much alchemy and magic to it, you know, with this trying to imagine the flavors that are inside the bean and then pulling them out. And I just have to imagine there's so much trial and error. That's why I don't roast coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I know people that roast coffee. I know some people that are very good at it. I let them handle that part. Well, that was uh, fantastic. And before we go today, I'm going to ask you another question. It's going to be a big episode. What about freshness? Is it better to make coffee with beans that have just been roasted? Can the beans be too fresh? Do they age out? Can we keep them fresh by throwing them in the refrigerator? All right. So coffee freshness is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite topics because there's so much misinformation out there and so many assumptions that we have. But I'm going to boil it down to a super nutshell for you. It's real simple. You want to wait three to seven days after coffee has been roasted before you drink it. Three to seven days. Coffee is actually not at its best when it's fresh roasted. That being said, you have about two weeks from that point, from those three to seven days, to drink your coffee at its peak of flavor. Now that being said, most people can't detect the difference after two weeks. So some people will tell you you have four weeks, other people will say you have three, other people will say you have two. I say wait those three, four, five, six, or seven days, Start drinking your coffee, and then after maybe a month, yeah, you should probably retire that bag and look for a different one. So it's it's not good to buy a pandemic-worth supply of coffee. We want to buy two-week supply of coffee, one-week supply of coffee. And I'm not just saying that to get you in my shop every week. I'm saying it because some of the things that are in the coffee bean do degrade, and it does become a little flat tasting over time. Freezer, refrigerator, freshness, leaving it in there. If you want to preserve your coffee for longer, let's say you had a bag of a coffee you really loved, you know they're going to run out of it soon and they might not even get it again next year, so you want to stock up and you want to save it for later for a special occasion, yes, you can put it in your freezer and it will be good later. But most of the time when you put something in your freezer, it ends up tasting like your freezer. So if you want to freeze your coffee, you have to really make sure that there is almost no air in the bag that's in there. 
and then that it's super, super well sealed. Most people, the best way to do that is to vacuum seal your coffee. And most people don't have a vacuum sealer or it's not worth it to them to vacuum seal a coffee to pull out later. So generally speaking, we don't recommend storing it in the fridge or freezer. The condensation of the moisture of the air that's in there, the flavors and tastes that are already in your refrigerator or freezer, those can seep into the bag and the coffee can kind of absorb them. And then you're tasting this stale freezer taste or stale refrigerator taste. That's not what we want from our really top high-end coffees. We want something that tastes like when we bought it. So the best way to do that just for general storage is just to leave it in the bag you bought it in. And if you want to get real fancy, you can put another plastic bag around that. When you're done measuring out your coffee every day, you squeeze the air out and roll that bag nice and tight and closed. Squeeze the air out of that other plastic bag nice and tight and closed. And then you leave it in the back of a cool, dark cupboard. We say coffee freshness is degraded by four things, light, air, heat, and moisture. And if you look at other industries, beer, wine, any kind of food, really, um, those same four things tend to be the things that really degrade freshness in culinary products, light, air, heat, and moisture. So we just try to eliminate those as best we can. Light isn't a huge issue for coffee most of the time, but it can contribute to degradation. Heat, you don't want to store it above your oven. It's just going to make it stale faster or uh, above a toaster oven or anything like that. It's just going to make it stale faster. Moisture, squeeze that air out of the bag. Don't let any any moisture get in there and squeeze any air out of it because the air will have a little bit of latent moisture to it. And air, just in general, you want to remove all the air from it so that that doesn't contribute to pulling coffee flavor out of the beans. Okay. Well, you're going to have to excuse me because I have to go get some beans out of my freezer. <laughs> hey, at least you're leaving them as beans and not grounds. I'm proud of you. This is, this is awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Chris, it was great to have you back on the show. I'm looking forward to getting coffee smarter with you again uh, next week. All right, well, we'll do it. I'll try to make sure that I have coffee ready for me. Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle, welcome back to Roast West Coast, the podcast. And uh, you're here to help me get a little coffee smarter, help us all get a little coffee smarter, which I always appreciate. It's always fun. We're going to roast some coffee knowledge right into that brand of yours. Oh, puns. Today's a pun day. So here's a question I have for you. When I'm using my grinder at home, mm-hmm. there's all these little different settings on it for grind size, I think. How much does grind size matter? And does it matter or does it matter more that the grinder is consistent? Well, first of all, I have to applaud you because if you have a grinder that has settings on it, then that means you're using the correct type of coffee grinder. And generally, I like to be very welcoming, you know, and I don't want to be a gatekeeper to coffee. I want to make sure everyone has access to good coffee. But in this case, there is, in fact, a right and a wrong type of coffee grinder. So please, if you're out there listening and you are grinding your coffee with a blade grinder, one of those little spinny propeller blade grinders where you just hold the button down until you think it's the right size, please just stop using that thing. It only costs you 10 to $20, so it's going to be fine. Just set it aside. You can clean it out and use it to grind spices or something if you want. But instead, it's actually better to have a shop grind your coffee for you with their Burr Grinder, B-U-R-R. 
Uh, burr grinders are the right kind of grinder. Blade grinders are the wrong kind of grinder. And that's for a very simple reason. Basically, when you look at your coffee grounds, it's sort of like a powder or kind of like sand. You know, it's got a certain consistency to it. If you look at those coffee grounds under magnification, if you think about them as, as ice cubes, you'll create a lot of different size pieces with a blade grinder. You'll create really big ice cubes and really tiny ice cubes. And if you put a bunch of really big ice cubes in water and a bunch of tiny ice cubes in water, the tiny ones melt really quick and the big ones never end up melting or take really long. So the same thing happens with our coffee grounds. So we want to make sure we're using a device, a burr grinder, to create coffee grounds, coffee particles that are very evenly sized. Um, we want them all to be the same size ice cubes. I know this from you, but like the reason is so that when we're putting the water in with the grinds, all kind of sides of that coffee are being impacted equally. Right. As opposed to one side, one, a bigger chunk having more surface area and a smaller chunk having less surface area. Right. Which is why I like to use that ice cube analogy, because if you think about that really big ice cube that never melts, the center of that ice cube never gets into the water and never, never melts into the water. So we want to make sure that all of the stuff that's in all of our coffee gets into the water that we're brewing all at the same time, all at the same rate. You know, you don't need to look into the particle distribution analysis by laser diffraction on a specific grinder. Just know that a blade grinder is bad and a burr grinder is good. And I'm very proud of you, Ryan, for having a burr grinder. I didn't say what type of grinder I had, Chris. Well, if it has settings, then it's a burr grinder. I'm at least that confident. It's a conical burger. Oh, oh, dropping some some fancy words there. All right. Well, let's stay focused here on on your question, which is uh, that there's a bunch of different settings on your grinder, and does grind size matter? The number one thing about that is consistency is the most important. So we want our grind size to have very consistent particles, which is what we just talked about with the difference between blade and burr. Most coffee grinders are sold with a large number of settings on them. You know, it might be 12 settings, it might be 20 settings, it might be 40 settings. However many settings it has, there's a good chance that a large number of those settings are actually not that useful for you. The people who make coffee grinders want them to look like they have a bunch of settings. But unfortunately, uh, for most home coffee brewers, most of those settings or a large number of those settings are, are fairly unusable. I participated in a study once that uh, you know something about where we analyzed seven different coffee grinders and we looked at how useful all the settings were. And we found that generally speaking, half the settings are totally unusable in, in almost every grinder. And the nice thing about that study and that knowledge for our listeners is that if you take the halfway point on your coffee grinder at home, the halfway point setting, so setting number 10 out of 20, setting number 6 out of 12, setting number 20 out of 40, if you take that setting and you just totally ignore every grind, every setting that's coarser than that setting, every, every setting that creates larger particles than that setting, just never use that. Just never use half those settings. It seems kind of ridiculous and it seems like why would the coffee grinder manufacturing industry do that to us? Well, we could talk about that for a pretty long time maybe, but it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, just just don't use those settings and you're actually gonna, are going to be making a much better cup of coffee. So that halfway point that we picked, that's your coarsest setting. 
And that setting is usually best for the French press. You'll see a lot of people online that will tell you to use a coarse grind for a French press. That's definitely true. You want to use a coarse grind for a French press. But the reason we've discarded half of those settings is because those larger numbers, those settings in the discarded settings, are actually all inconsistent particle sizes and even larger particles, even larger pieces than we want to work with. So Hmm. I don't know how much every listener has followed along to every episode, but we said in a previous episode that we want three to six minutes for a general brewing time for coffee. If if your grind size, if your particle size is too large, if those, uh, to use my earlier metaphor, ice cubes are too large, the ice cubes will never melt in those six minutes. So you need a size of particle, a size of grounds, that will extract in the time that you're brewing. With the ice cube metaphor, just to clarify, we're essentially assuming that, like there's flavor stuck inside that ice cube and we're never getting it exactly. out. We're never releasing it because in the time we have, it's too big. Exactly. And so if you try to use more time, then you start getting undesirable flavors, astringency, harsh bitterness. You can get weird tastes out of your coffee that you don't want in your coffee. So the best thing you can do is just use the right grind size, which is halfway on that grinder. Just discard that other half. Is there a grinder that you use in the shop or that you think like if if somebody is going to go, you know what, I'm going to holidays are coming up. I'm going to buy myself a coffee grinder. You got a recommendation for people? Absolutely. Um, I've used a couple different. All right. I've used a lot of different coffee grinders uh, for both home and commercial use. The study that I helped with, we found that the Bodum Bistro Burr Grinder, Bodum, B-O-D-U-M, is a, a company that makes French presses a lot, and they uh, they actually have a nice product. Baratza is probably the most popular uh, home coffee grinding um, producer, and they make some nice nice devices, though those didn't perform quite as well in our testing. They still are great grinders, and I love that company. I love working with them. And then the Breville Smart Grinder Pro was a grinder that we worked with in that study, which was a couple years ago, but was uh, I think that grinder is still available. That grinder had uh, a lot of things going for it and was really nice to use. I'm not sponsored or endorsed by any of those companies. Those are just grinders that I have actually had experience with and used and enjoyed. If any of those three companies want to send me free stuff, I am, <laughs> I am in San Diego. And I own a shop called Coffee Cycle, so uh, please feel free to send me some stuff. If they contact you, I will be sure to give them my address. If they contact <laughs> me about you, and I will absolutely, I'll certainly pass along any of those freebies that come to me. <laughs> well, as I said, I'm not doing it for the freebies. I'm saying I've, I've, I've literally experienced those grinders, and they all have uh, something to be said for them. But at the end of the day, yes, there are grinders that I've used that I like. Um, and I like more than some others, but the most important is just burr grinder instead of blade grinder. If you have a grinder at home now that people are using, even if it is a burr grinder, to take a look at the grinds that are coming out of it and try to see if they're looking consistent. Exactly. There's actually a really cool new tool out there now. I think they've modified it for use on smartphones, but you can actually take your coffee grounds spread them out on a white piece of paper and take a picture of it with your smartphone. And then there's an app that will tell you how consistent your particles are. Now, this is, oh this is for the nerds out there. 
but it's pretty cool that it actually has that capability to to analyze how perfect your grind is with that and uh, a little bit of searching can probably find that find that app if you're if you're interested that's incredible i will definitely find that and link to it probably for people who <laughs> anything else before uh we close up shop for the week chris yeah, I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit more about grind sizes for different coffee brewing. So okay. we've already discarded half our grind settings, but that still means there's a bunch more grind settings available. Depending on your coffee brewer and a French press, you know, we, we know that you just kind of want them to be pretty coarse. And if you take that halfway point, that's going to be pretty good for a French press. But for other brewing methods like a manual pour, um, you know, your, your grandma might have a device called a Melita is like a little plastic cone that sits on top of a coffee mug and you pour water over it. Or maybe your, your hipster friend has a, a ceramic or a glass device that he puts on top of his coffee mug and he weighs it all out and he has the gooseneck swan neck kettle and he pours it and times it. Well, the grind size that you're using can actually impact how long it takes the water to flow through the coffee. In our previous episode, we said we want the brewing time to take three to six minutes. Well, if you're using a device that's not like a French press, any device that doesn't have a means of controlling the time. In a French press, you, you plunge the filter down onto the grounds. And so that controls your time by, by hand. The other method of controlling your time of brewing is actually your grind size. So you can make your grind finer to extend the time of brewing to get it into that three to six minutes or to reduce your time of brewing to get it into that three to six minutes. Generally, we, when we talk about how the grind impacts the flavor or impacts the brewing, you know, number one is consistency, but then the number two is to use your grind size to control your time of extraction and get it into that three to six minutes. And from there, just experiment with what tastes best to you. That's a lot to take in today, but I think that it, it was really helpful. I know buying a grinder was one of the more intimidating things, in part because there are so many settings and so many things and so many options. And it's like, I may not know what's best. Luckily, I had you to fall back on. So Anytime. I appreciate your help today with the show and I appreciate uh, all your help in the past. I actually did buy that Bodum that we that we had talked about previously. That's the one I got. Excellent. And you don't use any of the settings over that midpoint, right? No, I just use the one setting. I set it and I forget it. There you go. That's the best way to do it. Chris, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you again a few more times this season and I'll talk to you next week. Excellent. Looking forward to it, Ryan. Thanks for checking into this episode of Coffee Smarter Classics and for brushing up on some coffee basics. Chris is actually teaching a Coffee Smarter Education 101 class in January. So if you happen to be in the San Diego area, you can get tickets to that now on coffeecycleroasting.com. And I'll add the link to this week's newsletter. As I mentioned at the top, this show and by extension myself are on holiday for, well, for the holidays. I'm typing this from the road just outside Page, Arizona, where my wife and I visited Antelope Canyon, worth the tour price, and the Instagram-famous Horseshoe Bend, which is also worth the parking rates. The landscape has been incredible, but my one huge complaint is that this part of the country seems to be a coffee roaster desert. 
there are only two non-corporate coffee shops in Page, Arizona. And no offense is intended towards them, because they were closed the entire time I was here. But it feels like an opportunity for someone to set up a roastery in one of the most unique landscapes in the country. There is a new distillery and brewery opening up in the downtown, and it feels like a town with a brewery and distillery should have a roastery. Am I right about that? I think I am. If you've been listening to this show and you want to recommend a great coffee roastery or coffee professional from the West Coast that you think should be interviewed in Season 4, please hit me up on Instagram at Roast West Coast. Thank you to everyone who's already been doing that. I've made some great connections already. If you're out exchanging gifts, pop into these go-to coffee shops and roasteries in San Diego County for a coffee pick-me-up, including Cafe La Terre, Mostra Coffee, Coffee Cycle, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Steady State Coffee, or Camp Coffee Company. Pick up a bottle of First Light Coffee Whiskey for your New Year's celebration, and a shout-out to Maria Coffee and Ignite Coffee Roasters and Cape Horn Coffee Importers. Thank you all for supporting the Craft Coffee community and this show. As for this podcast, it will be back next week Wednesday with another Classics episode, covering first, second, and third wave coffee. It is one of my favorite topics from the first season. And now that we seem to be entering into a new era of coffee roasting and coffee appreciation, it is a great time to go back and refresh our memory. The new Season 4 episodes will start dropping the first week of February 2022. Until then, head to RoastWestCoast.com to check out all of the other coffee content. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been, written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And if you haven't, go get your booster shot. It provides protection for you and for others against the coronavirus. And if I'm being honest, it just provides some peace of mind while reading the news. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. Are you still there? I don't know why I feel compelled to add these little bumpers to the end of the show sometimes. I think it's because I know that someone is listening for the very first time, and I want them to know how much Roast West Coast and the coffee community have meant to me this past year, and in particular these Coffee Smarter episodes. This coffee show launched in the early days of COVID, and in retrospect it was my way of staying connected with the world while I was very aggressively locking down at home. The family and friends Zoom chats were great, but with enough history between us, our conversations revolved more around the impacts of COVID, and nobody was really doing anything new at the time, so there weren't any new stories. But with this show, I was actually meeting new people, meeting strangers, hearing their stories for the very first time, and sharing some of my own, all while drinking great coffee. For all of Season 1 and on into Seasons 2 and 3, Chris O'Brien, the founder and head roaster of Coffee Cycle Roasting, served as my Coffee Smarter expert. Every week, I would ask him a question about coffee, and every single week he had the answer. Though, to be fair, I would email him the questions before the show. My friendship with Chris goes way back, and even though I know he doesn't listen to this show, 
he was part of making them, so I don't blame him for that. I want to say thank you to Chris. I appreciate you. And I appreciate all of you listening. I hope your holidays have been a respite from the weight of COVID, and there have been moments of joy to remind you that stuff is just stuff, and it is the collection of experiences, shared moments, and our love for each other, sometimes over a cup of coffee, that make us happy. Happy holidays, everyone. Talk to you soon.